it is a beautiful, and yet it's a very brisk winter morning to be able to assemble together to worship God. And we have a number of visitors with us today. Some of you are visiting with friends, some of you with family. We want you to know that you're always welcome to be with us. And I will tell you that at this point in our lesson, we're studying the books of First and Second Thessalonians with the thought in mind that this is a church that everyone would love. So many wonderful characteristics of the church in Thessalonica. The letter that Paul wrote there was such an encouragement, such an uplift for that great group of people. And as you and I study it, I believe it is also very encouraging and uplifting for us as well. And as we have been studying, we're now to chapter 5, and we're going to study verses 1 through 11 together in our lesson this morning. I've entitled this lesson, A Ready Church. And I want to begin by talking about being ready, being prepared, and how extremely important that is. You think for just a moment with me about two or three different areas. For instance, how important is it for a young person who is attending school to be prepared for class? You may have to, for instance, make all kinds of preparation of like preparing your books, preparing your backpack, your pencils. You know, I remember when I was a kid, teachers would come in and say, you don't have a pencil with you? You don't have any paper? Why don't you have any? Why aren't you prepared? But I also think about those who, for instance, maybe are going to a class and the teacher is going to give you a pop quiz. And how important it is for a person to study their lessons every night to be ready when a quiz like that is given. Or maybe, for instance, at work. I don't know what everyone's occupation is, but if you're a carpenter, how would it be to show up for work in the morning and the boss look at you and say, where's your hammer? Where's your saw? You see, each of us need to go to school prepared. We need to go to work prepared. And then, are you prepared for death? You see, the context in which we were studying in chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, he said, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, that you sorrow not as others who have no hope. He's talked about people who are passing away from this life, and the question is, are they prepared for eternity? And I would ask the question, Are you ready for the Lord's return? So let me tell you what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at chapter 5. We're going to begin, first of all, by looking at the Lord's return, the details that are given in those first few verses. Then we're going to look at the demands that are placed upon those of us who are here preparing ourselves. And then finally, what I think is a very appropriate illustration And that is, are you dressed and prepared for the Lord's return? Let's begin, first of all, and let's look at verses 1 through 4. I'm going to put the scriptures on the screen, but I again encourage you to read along in your Bibles. You may want to make notes. You may want to notice some observations here. But concerning the times and seasons, 
Brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that the day should overtake you as a thief. Now, when Paul begins with this times and seasons, he's using two terms that convey some sort of chronology and social situations or social climate. For instance, when he uses the word times, he's talking about an appointed time. He's talking about a time, for instance, that is scheduled tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. is scheduled the Monday morning Bible class. There are times, for instance, when we have services scheduled and when it comes to the time of the Lord's return, there is a day, there is an hour in which our Lord will return. There's also the word seasons, which seems to indicate much more, for instance, a time of events. For instance, Mr. John Steinbeck wrote a book in the early 60s called The Winter of Our Discontent. It's a time in which things are maybe, for instance, better or worse. A time when God's wrath, it appears, is due and should take place. I want to begin by pointing out to you that man has a quest to know. We want to know when Jesus will return. We want to know the details of it. You know, it's just like I remember as a child in school. We had teachers that would give us pop quizzes on a regular basis. But they would never tell you when they were going to give those pop quizzes. Otherwise, it wouldn't be pop quizzes. I always wanted to know, see if I could figure out, is there some sort of schedule, there's some sort of a program that I can figure out when the teacher's going to give it so I could be prepared that day. And obviously you know the, there's a value for a teacher not telling because the teacher wants to know, are you learning, are you growing in your knowledge, not just can you prepare for one test at a scheduled time. What do you think most people would do if they knew the Lord was going to return January the 31st at 10.01 a.m.? They'd wait to January the 31st to try to make things right. And so the Bible does not provide us with the answer. In fact, there are things that God has chosen not to reveal. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. And notice how Luke, recording the events, uses the same terminology in Acts 1 and verse 7. Therefore, when they had come together, that is, the apostles had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Jesus' answer to them was, I'm not going to tell you. It's not for you to know. That is not an answer which you are going to be given. 
Now, obviously, we know after the fact that it occurred just a few days later. However, the Lord's time is not revealed. In Matthew 24, beginning with verse 32, there's a very valuable section talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, which was very soon to take place. And then looking forward to the Lord's second coming, he says, Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and it puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things, know that it's near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you that this generation will by no means pass till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour knows no one, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as in the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know that the flood, until the flood came, and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. You've got to understand that God's plan was not to reveal the times or the seasons. But you know, some of us may feel that it's time for God to send His Son. Many of us may feel that the world has become so wicked and so vile that it's time, God. You need to send Jesus. You need to destroy this world. Bring it to an end. In the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was pleading with God. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you shall not hear? Even I cry out to you in violence and you will not save. Will I show, do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and strife are violence are before me. There's strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Habakkuk was saying, God, it's really bad. Send judgment. God wasn't ready. Revelation chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. There's a picture of the souls under the altar crying out, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And God's answer is, Time's not yet. Folks, it's important as you study the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 to understand the times and the seasons. We don't need anybody to have to write to us. And that's the reason why he says they were well informed. You have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly. That's one of the things that made the church at Thessalonica a church that was so praiseworthy. You have a congregation of people who know the Scriptures, who know God's plans. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 1, he says, there's no need for me to write to you about ministering to the saints. In 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 9, he said, there's no need for me to write unto you about love because you are taught of God to love one another. He says, you know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. 
thief doesn't announce his coming. He doesn't come to your door and say, I'm here to steal from you. No, he slips in, takes what he can take, hopefully slips out without anyone ever knowing. And we know that the Lord's coming will be in that kind of fashion. He will come when nobody's expecting it. Nobody's looking for it. Second Peter 3 verse 10, But the day of the Lord will so come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, and the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. But you see, Paul says there are going to be some who are going to say, Peace and safety. These are going to be people who are going to tell you, don't worry, everything's okay. And I can look back to the Old Testament and I can see people doing the same thing when God's judgment was pending. I just want to choose a few verses from the book of Jeremiah. You go to chapter 23 and you look at verse 17. They continually to say to those who despise me, The Lord has said, You shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, No evil shall come upon you. Everybody can do what they want to do, and God's not going to do anything to you. you go back to chapter 8, look at verse 11, and look at verse 15. For they have healed the herd of the daughter of my people slightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And he goes on to say, we looked for peace, but no good came. A time for help, and there was trouble. You have to realize, there are people who will tell you today, don't worry about the Lord's coming. God's not going to punish you. He's going to save everyone. That's not going to be the truth. It wasn't then and it will not be today. I think it's interesting to notice some of the terminology that Paul uses with them. He said, you are not in the dark. You're not people who are unaware of what God does and how he does things. While we may not know when, we know what and we know how. To be prepared for the Lord's coming. So to begin with, we look at those details. Now, second of all, let's look at the demands. Let's look at verses 5 through 7 for just a moment. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We're not of the night or of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. But let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Being a son of light or a son of the day has demands. When God calls us to be sons of light, He's calling us to live in the light, to walk in the light. There's several passages which could be studied, particularly in the book of John, several in the epistles of Paul, but let me just make reference to two of them. Ephesians 5 and verse 8, Paul writes, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 
You see, one time we were living in the world. We were living in darkness, living in ignorance. Now we live in the light of God's Word. And he said, walk like that. 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as He is in the light. Talking about Jesus and how He lives and how we ought to live. And to do that, He tells them there's two things you don't need to do. The first one is you don't need to be lulled to sleep. Let me tell you what happens when people become comfortable. Wake up the person next to you. You become comfortable. And then you find yourself nodding off. You realize, spiritually speaking, a lot of people are nodding off. I'm not talking about listening to the sermon. I'm talking about nodding off with regards to what's in front of them and what they ought to be prepared for. In Matthew 13, verse 25, But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. You know that sometimes people fall asleep spiritually and they allow false teachers to come in among them. They allow them to create conflict. All of a sudden everybody wakes up their eyes and they say, What happened? How did we get in this situation? Well, you weren't paying attention. You weren't being sober. You weren't being awake. Matthew 25, verse 5, talking about the parable of the foolish virgins. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Oh, the bridegroom's going to be coming. Well, that's taking a little longer. Let's just, you know, slumber and sleep a little bit. Luke twenty-two forty-six. while Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane praying. He's asked Peter, James, and John to stand and watch for him. And he's told them to watch and pray. He said, why do you sleep? Rise and pray lest you enter into temptation. Why are you sleeping? Perhaps the best of these is found in Romans 13, verses 11 and following. This is one of the passages that to me is such a a powerful one talking about how you and I live in our daily lives. He says, And you know this, that knowing the time that is now high time to wake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Make sure that you look and see that you are now a Christian. You live like that. Don't get lulled into that sleep. It's time to wake up. Ephesians 5.14 Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. The second thing that he says about this demands is not to become intoxicated. Those who are drunk are drunk at night. The drunk people are opposed to the ones he says to be sober up earlier. To be sober means to think clearly. But you know a lot of us have allowed ourselves to become intoxicated with what this world has to offer. 
And the Bible uses that kind of figure in several places. For instance, in Mark 4, verses 18 and 19, now the ones who are sown among the thorn, those ones who hear the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. How many of us have things that are crowding our spirituality out because we're, we're so attracted by these things over here, worldly things? In Revelation 18 and verse 13, for the nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. The merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Let me ask you, how many of us are attracted by all the pleasures and the riches that this world has to offer to the point where our spirituality gets put somewhere on the back burner? And our minds are not focused. Now let's look at the third aspect of this passage in verses 8 through 11. Now this is, I think, a very valuable section. And Paul says, But let those us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, whether we are awake or asleep, we should live together with him. Therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you are doing. A person has to learn to dress for the occasion. I don't know about you, but those of us who are a little older sometimes struggle with people who don't dress for the occasion. And this morning I was looking for the funeral details of one of my good friend's mother, Sister Rosemary Summers, uh, Brother Wayman Summers, who was a gospel preacher, grew up in this area. His widow passed away this yesterday, and her services are going to be this Tuesday. And while I was looking at the listing of that on the website, I just noticed on the left-hand side near the bottom, and it says, What attire should I wear to a funeral? And the, I said, well, I need to click that. I need to read that. And what it says is basically there are people today who will wear different things, but you should, out of showing respect, try to wear conservative, that was their word, clothing. And they discussed wearing perhaps dark shaded clothes to show respect. And you think about dressing for the occasion. And do you know the Bible? even presents that. In Matthew 22, verses 11 through 13, But when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to them, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. The king said to his servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him in outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, you don't go to weddings like you're going out to play ball or something like 
you show respect for the wedding. When it comes time to prepare to serve the Lord, what kind of dress does he have in mind? To engage the, the devil properly, one must be dressed in the Christian armor. Can you imagine a soldier going out to fight a battle with flip-flops on? Can you imagine him not having a helmet on, not having some sort of, of armor? He talks here about the breastplate, the helmet, and that certainly directs your attention to the book of Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For you do not wrestle against, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against a spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Do you see if I am going to engage in preparation to prepare myself to be ready for the Lord's return. I've got to be dressed in the Christian armor. Ready to engage in that spiritual battle. See, God's plan, God's desire is for us to win that battle, to win that war. One would want to be a part of a congregation that was prepared and ready for the Lord's return. Do you know that God is going to hold me accountable as the preacher before this congregation in what I have done to try to prepare you for the Lord's return? If I don't tell you the truth, if I don't show you what God's Word says, then God will hold me accountable for that. But now, if I do my job, then now you become accountable. And you have to look at yourself and say, am I ready for the Lord's return? In Matthew 25, the Lord used three parables, one right after the other, to try to emphasize this very point. He talked about five wise and five foolish virgins. Five foolish virgins did not prepare enough for when the bridegroom came and they were cast into outer darkness. He told a parable of the talents and he gave various talents to various ones but there was the one talent man, the wicked servant who failed and when the Lord came and called an account he had nothing to show him. In fact, he went and hid his talent in the earth cast him out Now, you know, depart from me you who work iniquity. And then you get to verses 31 through 46. 
And he says, he will gather like a shepherd will gather his sheep and his goats and he'll separate them. The Lord will come again. There will be some who will be prepared and some who will not. And the question is, you have an opportunity right now. If you are not a Christian and you want to go to heaven, you want to be saved from your sins, here's the plan of salvation that was presented in the book of Acts to everyone who wanted to do this. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You must repent of your sins. You must confess your faith in Him and be baptized for the remission of your sins. For those of you who are Christians and you look at your life and you know that you failed and you know that you're not right, right now you have time to prepare. We can pray with you. We can pray for you. I want you to notice carefully the words of this song. Are you ready? If you're not, would you come while together we stand and sing?